everybody. Welcome to Hebsey on Sports, my new podcast. I'm so excited. Mark Hebsher here, sports guy. Yes, my entire life I've been a sports guy. I'm so excited to be talking sports with you. And as you'll find out, I've got an opinion on everything. So today on the show, let's jump right in. Did the Toronto Raptors do the right thing by firing Dwayne Casey because they couldn't beat LeBron James? Can Kyle Dubas, 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 can he turn the Toronto Maple Leafs into a team that can beat the Boston Bruins? Analytics be damned. Is Tiger Woods worth following again? Is Sebastian Jovinko worth the trouble on TFC? And what are the Blue Jays going to do about this American League East race, which saw them lose two out of three against the stacked Boston Red Sox lineup? Hebsey on Sports, brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in Burlington, Ontario. Get out there and whack that little ball around. Unleash your hidden tiger. Go to crosswindsgolf.com. So, the Blue Jays, two out of three losers to Boston. They wore pink yesterday on Mother's Day. Joe Biagini didn't look good in pink. No one on the Jays looked good in pink. I thought there was a bit too much pink yesterday. I mean, the pink bats, I, I don't know. Um, last year on Mother's Day, Kevin Pilar hit a walk-off home run. So yesterday they decided to bring Pilar's mom to the ballpark to throw at the first pitch to Kevin, catch him. Might have, might have been worked, might have worked okay, but it didn't. It didn't work. The Jays lose. They're now 21 and 20. They have the seventh best record in the American League. They're three and a half games back of the last wild card spot. I know, I know it's the middle of May and we're talking about wild cards already, but this is, this is what happens in baseball. This is the numbers thing. How far back are we of a playoff spot? And when you get to be a certain number of games back, when do you start to panic? When do you start to worry about, do we trade this guy? Do we, what do we do about Donaldson? Is Tulowitzki going to be back? All that stuff. So seven, seventh best record in the American League. Not great. Considering this, shortstop uh, Aldemus Diaz is out. 10-day DL, ankle injury. Outfielder Steve Pierce, an oblique injury. 10-day DL. Outfielder Randall Gritchick, knee injury. 10-day DL. Pitcher Marcus Stroman, my shoulder hurts. 10-day DL. Shortstop Troy Tulowitzki, 60-day DL, bone spurs in both heels. He'll be ready, they say, the first week in June. I'd be interested in seeing what Troy Tulowitzki looks like since I don't even remember what he looks like as a ball player. It's been so long. We've had so many other shortstops out there. And pitcher Roberto Osuna is on administrative leave from Major League Baseball. That's a seven-day leave. It's a minimum of seven days. The seventh day, I believe, is tomorrow. I think that seven-day thing is up. But everyone is saying the same thing, and that is it can be longer than seven days. His court date is June the 18th. They, you're not going to see him in a Blue Jay uniform before then, and maybe even after that date. I, I don't know. I'm going to get to Osuna in a second again. Devin Travis, who was a key guy on the team's last couple of years, demoted. Bad shoulder, bad knee. I don't know. He's, he's injury prone. Danny Barnes, who was a Damn good pitcher the last uh, season and a half, I guess, with the Jays. Demoted. And then you got guys like uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's hitting 386 in double A, and everyone's like, bring him up, bring him up, bring the guy up. Because we've got to have some firepower if we want to beat Boston, if we want to beat the Yankees, if we want to beat Baltimore and Tampa Bay. That division, that American League East division, is so tough. And our starting pitching is so bad that every game, I feel as if we should have, there should be an over-under for the starters. Every single game that the Jays play, it's like, all right, it doesn't matter who's starting. Sanchez, Stroman, Biagini, Marco Estrada, Jay Happ, 
Uh, oh, Jaime Garcia, who I've seen pitch already five times. I don't think he's gotten past the fourth inning. So the over-under, I think, on Jay's starters has to be four. Four innings. If you can go more than four, you're okay. You're one of the top starters on the team. So to me, it's amazing that you could be a, a game over 500 with the worst starting pitching, with ERAs like 7.7. Strowman, 0-5 and, and a 7.7 earned run average. I figured out that if, if he only gives up two runs, two earned runs in his next 20 innings, his ERA will be five and a half. That's if. That's a long way to go. So let's openly discuss this Blue Jay situation. And the first thing I want to talk about is uh, Osuna. Uh, Toronto Mike joins me on the broadcast. You were at one of the games this week. Did, did you see any Osuna, people wearing Osuna jerseys? I did not, no. I did. And I, I was tempted to go to a young lady who was wearing one and asked her the reasoning. And I've, I probably answered my own question because she was obviously an Osuna fan. She had bought the jersey or someone had given it to her as a gift. So she probably thinks that, I don't know, he didn't do it. He was charged with assault a week ago. Now, on an assault charge, and we're not saying it's domestic assault. I don't believe that. I don't believe they make a distinction with the charge. You're charged with assault. But what ha has to happen in those cases is someone had to have witnessed the assault and made a complaint to the police. And as I'm told by police and lawyers, no matter what, if there is a complaint made, the officers, the police have to investigate and generally will make an arrest if they see any evidence that suggests that there was an assault. So in the case of Osuna, no one knows if it was his girlfriend, the mother of his child. No one knows if it was a neighbor. All they know is they got a phone call saying, look, there's a, there's a domestic situation going on. It's happening inside of a home. Whether it was yelling and screaming, broken glass, who knows? Maybe it was raised voices. But the point is, is that the police came, they investigated, they likely saw evidence of assault, and they arrested Roberto Osuna. So how does that make you feel as a Jays fan? Would you like to see Osuna back with the Jays? Because he doesn't go to court till June 18th. And we're also dealing with a young man, if you recall, who had some severe anxiety and depression issues a year ago. It was in June of 2017 that he asked, and people said this was about the bravest thing any professional athlete could do. He asked if he could take some time off. He wasn't feeling right. And I remember when I first heard the stories, he wasn't feeling right. That's odd. It's, uh, he could have said, my arm is killing me. I've got a bad shoulder. Something to that, something that would have been baseball related that the average person would have said, oh, okay, this guy's got a bad arm. I can see it. Let's shut him down for a couple days. But no, that wasn't the case at all. Um, and, and what bothered me was that I think a lot of people felt really, and I really felt for Roberto Osuna. Uh, his manager at the time, John Gibbons, said, hopefully they're... Oh, sorry, this was from... Um, at the time, everyone was on Osuna's side because, first of all, in the last number of years, even talking about mental illness, uh, anyone uh, is a rarity. For professional athletes, for high-profile people to do it. And remember, Joey Votto, Zach Greinke, two superstar baseball players, in the last couple of years, came out and said that they had uh, issues with anxiety and with depression. 
And, you know, Bell uh, and their Let's Talk initiative that's been going on for a number of years and all of these have shown the world that this is not an exclusive uh, ailment to the average working person. Everyone is affected by anxiety and depression. So knowing that and feeling for Roberto Osuna, liking him as a baseball player, appreciating him as a young man who grew up in a difficult situation in Sinaloa, Mexico, where the cartels are, where... I mean, there's murders going on where, where he was at the age of 17 sent off to Japan to pitch as a professional, where his family were baseball players, where he got out of that situation. And, we, and I, we, I saw the Stephen Brunt um, documentary, which was excellent. He goes back to uh, Sinaloa with Osuna, and Osuna explains what his childhood was like, what it was like growing up there. So we feel, we feel for this guy. Then we hear that he's been arrested on assault charges. And naturally, people are going to assume, oh, beats his wife. Why else would the police go there? Something happened. We don't know. But we do know that this, Major League Baseball has their own rules. Major League Baseball decided, as soon as the announcement was made, that there were charges against Roberto Asuna, that he, not suspended, Major League Baseball doesn't suspend for that. They say this isn't suspendable. They say he's going, we're putting him on administrative leave. So it's not considered discipline by Major League Baseball. It's a seven-day period that gives the league time to investigate. Whether the league is actively working with police and the prosecutors to find out exactly what went on there, what the likelihood there is of conviction, et cetera, et cetera, this is an ongoing process. This isn't something where the charges are going to be dropped. You don't charge someone with assault and then say, oh, um, the, complainant is, the complainant has dropped the charges or stuff like that. You have to... Con- continue with this, which means he's got a court date, which means there's a likelihood that if the evidence that the police officers discovered uh, and there's physical evidence that he assaulted his girlfriend, uh, that's different than going to a bar, having a few drinks and getting into a fight with a fan who thinks you're a shitty pitcher. Totally, totally different. So we feel for the guy, but at the same time, is he a distraction? Would he be a distraction to the team? And could you really get behind a guy that you think might not be the guy that he was purported to be, that he uh, has a problem and that this problem has to be looked after? And this problem isn't finding the strike zone. His problem isn't overcoming depression and anxiety with medication, with counseling, with, you know, care and love. You know, he didn't have his mom and dad there. He was living alone in Toronto. He's, All right, I can see how these things can cause or exacerbate the problem. But we're talking about um, a sport here that has already uh, suspended Aroldis Chapman. He was the first player to be disciplined. Um, he was suspended for the first 30 games of the 2016 uh, season. It was an alleged incident. Okay, we have to use the word alleged, you know, court of law, that kind of thing. Um, but... Major League Baseball determined that even though there was no uh, formal criminal charges, that they determined that this wasn't good for baseball and he was going to be suspended. Good for them, I guess. Take the law into your own hands. You work for Major League Baseball. Now, Hebsey, you said it. Uh, We don't know what happened. So I think what's important here from a fan's perspective is that uh, Osuna is accountable for his actions, whatever they may be. And right now it's all speculation. We have no idea. But if he if he owns this, he's a young man. If he's made him uh, an error in judgment and did something of this nature and uh, is accountable, and then seeks uh, treatment, uh, counseling, works on this to become a better human being, 
I, I don't think uh, we should be discarding this young man. I think we need to uh, work with him to make him a better person. Huh. So let's say uh, Jose Reyes, when he was playing for the Blue Jays, not when he was playing for Colorado, when, they said, when he was playing for the Blue Jays, not Colorado, not the Mets, and they found out that he had been charged with assault, right? He had been. He was playing, I think, with Colorado at the time, or it was the offseason. But anyway, he was suspended, if you recall, for 51 games, the first 51 games of the 2016 season. Again, an alleged incident. But had he been playing for the Blue Jays and Major League Baseball suspended him for 51 games, would you be so quick to say, as soon as those 51 games are over, come on back to the Jays? We love you. The fans love you. Or would you say, you know what? This guy's going to be a distraction. The same way Yunel Escobar was a distraction when with the, he painted the black under his eyes with an expression in Spanish that basically was demeaning to women. And that was how many years ago Farrell was the uh, manager? When was that, 2013? Yeah, I think it was homophobic, I think. Yeah. So uh, it's not like this has never happened before. My response is this. And I don't care. It, he could be the best reliever in all of baseball. He's not. Kimbrell is. But anyway, he could be the best. He could be the glue that holds your team together. But as you say, Mike, he's got to be held accountable. All right? And... He could be a hero to all these people, but if this is the problem that he has, it's not something that I would, if, it, if I was running the Blue Jays, I would want this person associated with my baseball team. He's going to ruin the brand. They've already taken 15,000 T-shirts of his out of circulation. God forbid the day that he was suspended was also the day that they were giving the T-shirts away. Would that have been... A shitstorm? Can you imagine? <laughs> come on, everybody, come on. Like, can you imagine if, like, Kevin Pillar, they gave away the Kevin Pillar cape jerseys. What if, God forbid, he had been arrested that day on assault charges? Oh, be terrible. So I think you've got to, I think you have to distance yourself from Roberto Asuna. For sure, he's not going to play for the Jays until June 18th. That's his court date. Even if at the court date he is exonerated, yeah, found not guilty, whatever the case is, that's going to stick with them. And I'm going to ask you this. Should they bring him back? Should they cut ties with him? Even though he's been disciplined, charged but not convicted of assault, canceled the T-shirt giveaway, but what they really need to do is plan on not having him on the roster. He's a distraction, and if the allegations of assault are true, he needs to be suspended and perhaps released by the club. Maybe he can start somewhere fresh. I don't know if other major league teams would want to quickly jump on this guy and say, yeah, let's, you know, what does that say about a team that says, we'll take this guy? You know, I mean, the Oakland Raiders did it for years in football. Give us, you know, give us these disenfranchised, he's been arrested on these charges or, you know, he's got these problems and stuff like that. Is that what you want from your organization? This is supposed to be a wholesome sports organization, you know, kids, young ladies, uh, you know, fans of all shapes, sizes, creeds, and colors, I think that, you know, as as good a guy as you might have thought he was and as good a pitcher he is and as good a teammate he is, he made more than just an error in judgment, okay? And whoever's fault it is, he has to be the one to be accountable. And being suspended or not being a Toronto Blue Jay anymore might be the right way to go. And especially yesterday, when everybody was wearing pink, we want to celebrate the strong women who are our mothers. We want to celebrate everyone, and we certainly do not want to have a situation in Toronto where people are looking and saying, hey, you got, that, you got the wife beater on your team. And again, it's an allegation, 
And you're spo- you're su- it's supposed to be a presumption of innocence, but it's not when you deal with high-profile people. Actors, singers, athletes, their name get in the news. If this happened to Joe Blow down around the corner, he would be going to work the next day. Not one person would say, hey, should we let him work and earn a living while he's up on charges? But when it happens to someone like a Roberto Asuna, you got to sit up and take notice. So I don't think we're going to see him in the Jays uniform again. Marcus Stroman says this last week. I don't want to go on the DL. I've prided myself on being that person to take the ball every fifth day, no matter what. I've never made excuses. I go out there every fifth day, no matter what. No matter what I'm feeling, I go dominate. And that's my mindset. It's just, I'm a little off right now. It's not all there. So you want to dominate, do you? Hmm. How about this? How about you win a game? How about you go six innings? How about you don't use up all your energy and emotion on one or two pitches. This is the problem I have with Stroman. This guy wants to win. I love this guy. He's a bulldog. But you got to take a step back, buddy. If your shoulder's been bothering you since since spring training, what do you throw seven innings in spring training? And now, after five, seven starts, he's 0-5, an ERA of 7.7. I've watched his last two starts live. It's painful to watch him. It's painful. He's supposed to be a ground ball pitcher. He can't find the strike zone. He's got too much movement on his pitches. He doesn't have enough movement on his pitches. He throws the curve too much. He throws it in the dirt too much. He's a great fielder and a great athlete. Yeah, but you know, a trip to the minor leagues, a trip to the bullpen. You know, a couple of years ago, they were saying, send Stroman to, uh, remember they are saying, send Stroman and Sanchez to Buffalo. Your number one starter one year and your number one starter the next year. And it was, send him to Buffalo. People, oh, no, no, you can't send, let him work it out. No, send him to Buffalo. Send them to Buffalo. Send them to the bullpen. Make someone else a starter. I don't know, but you can't keep trotting these guys out. So now he's on the 10-day DL, right? And you look back and you say, wasn't this guy the ERA? Was he not the ERA leader? Was he not a, like the next coming of, of, of Roy Halladay or whoever your great starter is going to be? So what happened to Marcus Stroman? Is he, is he Marcus Stromero? Is he Ricky Romero again? Do you remember Romero? 16 wins. Oh, my God. Ricky Romero. Lefty. Fabulous. Bulldog. What happened? Like, he went for a... And could this happen to Marcus Stroman? Could it happen to any one of the Blue Jay pitchers, but especially a young guy that you're expecting? Take a look at the numbers. Look what happened to Ricky Romero around the age of 27, okay, which is Stroman. Look at that and tell me. Is it all a figment of our imagination? When this guy first came up... Was he as good as we thought he was because he played on a team with Bautista and Edwin Encarnacion and a healthy Josh Donaldson and a healthy Troy Tulowitzki? And it's, remember those teams? Oh, my gosh. Remember the lineups they had? Let's Look, hope he's uh, more Roy Halladay who had to go back. Into, they sent him back to the minors for... But, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he came up, they sent him back, and then, then he got the Roy whole, that, yes, changed his whole career. Let's hope he's more Roy Halladay and less Ricky Romero. Do you think that's a possibility now? I, the longer a guy stays in the major leagues, the more embarrassing it would be to be sent down. But a rehab thing is great because you can just say, look, he's hurt. And, and that way, there's no hurry for the guy. Go on down to Dunedin, get yourself in shape, throw some simulated games, throw a couple of games in the Florida State League. Can you, can you imagine the, guy, the guys in the Cocoa Beach Astros going, hey, who are we facing tonight? Uh, it's this Stroman guy. And the other thing is, if you're a minor leaguer and you get to face a major leaguer and you get a hit off him, and you got bragging rights all summer. I got to hit off Strowman. So this is what the Jays need to do something. The 10-day DL is only temporary. You got to either bring him back on the roster, reactivate him, 
Send him down. Send him for rehab. I don't know what it is, but this is the tip of the iceberg problem with the Blue Jays. Sanchez can't find the plate either. I mean, any starter getting into the fifth inning, the crowd should give them like a, a, a rousing ovation. And when I see these early inning, when I, oh, first inning, we're in trouble again. The Jays, it seems, are always playing from behind. The reason they lead the major leagues and runs after the seventh inning is because they're always playing from behind. They're always in the hole. Biagini yesterday throws too many pitches. Hap, too many pitches. Stroman, too many pitches. That's the other thing. They, you want to speed the game of baseball up. If you've got guys like this out there that are throwing 100 pitches over four innings, it's going to take forever. Three-hour games are the norm. So let's see what happens with Marcus Stroman. Let's see what happens with Roberto Asuna. Let's see what happens with the Jays and their injury problems. Maybe Vladdy will get called up. Would I don't you, know. Would you call up a 19-year-old uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and have him DH? No. I don't think so. Nope. So he's going to play third base, right? He's a third baseman. So what do you do with Josh Donaldson? Hmm. Well, I think what you do is the same thing you were doing with him with Russell Martin. You say to Russell Martin, look, we, you know, it's great that you can play third and all well and good, but only in a pinch. Our third, but the only thing is, I don't think you can call up Vladdy Jr. and have him be a part-time player. Right. I don't like seeing any kid, unless it's an emergency call-up. I don't want to see any kid come up uh, and, and ride the pines. Come on, even if, even if you bring him up because there's an injury situation, uh, if Donaldson goes on the DL, his shoulder's bothering, then I would say, all right, Here's your replacement. Kid comes up from double A. Maybe he gets 50, 60 at bats. Maybe it doesn't work out. Now you send him to Buffalo for a while for a bit of seasoning. My concern is that if you look what happened with fellows like Dalton Pompey, for example. Dalton Pompey. They did a, they did a huge documentary on Dalton Pompey. He had had like 10 at bats in the major leagues or something like that. But he's from Mississauga. And, he's, and it's great. Wonderful. Great story. But I think when he came out the following year and got off to a terrible start, and they said, you're going to have to go back to the minors. And then he got hurt. Uh, the word is, is that he's, he's two years behind in his progress. Two years, that progress was retarded. And in the meantime, the Jays have had to go out and find a left fielder, whether it's Steve Pierce, whether it's, I don't know, I was thinking they might bring Chris Colabello back, but there's another story from, another, whatever happened to him? Remember, he had that great half well, season or whatever? I saw Smoke hit a homer on Saturday, and I had the same thought. Like, this guy was platooning with Colabello. Who saw this coming? But uh, I don't I know, know what's up with Chris. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen there. But anyway, I'd like to see Vladdy here, but not until the time is right. I'm also hopeful that when Troy Tulowitzki comes back, he's going to be better than anyone thought. I think most people have written off Troy Tulowitzki. They've just said, he's not, never going to come back. Sorry, he's going to come back, and he's going to make a big impact on this team. And it's going to solidify the infield defense because... I never know. It's like, who's on first? What's on second? Guriel's on short. No, he's not. He's been demoted. Solarte's at third. No, he's at second. No, he's at short. No, he's in the shift. I don't know what position he's playing. Uh, Diaz is playing. He's not playing. He's hurt. He turned his ankle on the first. There's like, and Richard Urania. Who else have we had playing the middle infield for this team? Has Garth Orge been out there recently? <laughs> I mean, it's just so many different guys that I, I again, I'm amazed that they're, they're doing as well as they are. All right. Uh, basketball. So, Dwayne Casey. I thought was a pretty good coach. And I was not a big fan of Dwayne Casey's when he first came up. I think it was because I didn't like the clothes that he wore. And now that I look back, I don't, he had a good style, defensive oriented. You know, he had some players that he had to deal with, you know, that they were sort of left over from the previous era. And then once he had, you know, Lowry and DeRozan and he had some parts, he had some, he had some great, um, great players and some great teams. But I think Dwayne Casey, and I think he deserved to be fired. I'm sorry. I know he was a nice guy and he treated everybody well and all that. But he deserved to be fired because it was obvious 
that there was no way that this team under this coach was going to beat that guy, LeBron. And I get it. LeBron is, you know, many coaches have been fired. Lots of, co- lots of guys who were coaches of the year never made it to the following season. But in the case of LeBron in Cleveland, I, I really think that Dwayne Casey in game one, after Cleveland had knocked off Indiana in seven tough games, and LeBron was exhausted, my first thought of Casey would have been, let's run this guy off the floor in game one. We're at home. We got the crowd behind us. We just knocked off the Washington Wizards, right? We're in the second round. LeBron humiliated us last year. Let's run him off the court. So go small. And instead, what does Casey do in game one? He has them walking it up the court. Here's Kyle Lowry over the 10, blah, 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 blah. So... It was his fault that they lost. It was his fault and Drake's fault that they lost game one. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Casey, right off the bat, should have identified the problem that the Cleveland Cavaliers had, which was they're tired. Taking their top guy, LeBron, exhausted, and run, 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 run. Put all your speed demons out there. Put the Greyhounds out there. Run them into the ground. Get them down by 25 points like the Celtics did yesterday, and then cruise. But instead, he allowed Cleveland to come back. Um, Drake got into it with Kendrick Perkins. I'm sure the word spread. I'm sure that somebody was like, hey, Cleveland thinks they're still going to win this game, right? Casey should have, no, 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 run LeBron off. They didn't run him off the court. They played big. They allowed Cleveland to stay in the game, came back from a big deficit. Actually, the deficit, I think, was 15 in game one. It should have been 25 or 30. They should have blown them out. And I blame Casey right there. You lose that game at the end, you lose to Cleveland in a game that you absolutely should have won in game one, and then the post-game nonsense with Drake, okay? And now the pressure's on. you got to win game two now. You can't after you blew it. Nobody used the word. The word is choke. There's no other word for it. You don't play at home against a team that's tongues are hanging out. They're so freaking tired, right? Blow a big lead. Have your global ambassador get into it on the sideline. That's another story for another time. Where the whole issue was, is the league going to talk to Drake? The issue should have been, how did the how did the Raptors blow that game? But not enough people were going, how did they blow that game? More people were, oh no, Drake and this and that and whatever. They should have identified right then and there that this team was in big, big trouble. Big trouble. They let them off the hook. You can't do that to a superstar player like LeBron, and he made them pay. So, Casey deserved to be fired but not the way they did it. Hmm. Not like that, right? They should have fired him immediately. Before the talk came, oh, he could be coach. And he was voted, remember, by the coaches, right? As as the coach of the year, by his peers. They Often sh- those coaches will do that for somebody they think is in uh, jeopardy of being fired, like as a way to kind of... Pro- to- to save their job. Right. So. Is, is, do you think that's why Brad Stevens of Boston got zero that, votes? That's, no, that's got exactly zero why. votes. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. And they went to him and said, you, you got no votes. And he was like, well, Casey's a good coach and these guys are good. And I'm just, I'm happy to be in the same group with these guys. Look, whether Casey, 59 wins is 59 wins. Ask any professional sports team in the last hundred years that played a phenomenal regular season that had every break go their way that didn't suffer from injury problems, right? Where everyone went, oh my God, let the playoffs start now. These guys, 59 wins. 
It doesn't matter. Ask, hey, listen, ask the Washington Capitals the last number of years. It doesn't matter what you do in the in the regular. It means nothing at all what you do in the regular season. This is a perfect example right here. Here, all along, people were going, all right, oh, geez, they're going to end up playing Cleveland. That's what the whole thing was. Oh, man, eventually we're going to have to. Can someone knock off? We were, everyone was rooting for Indiana. I was never a bigger Indiana Pacer fan <laughs> right. than when they were playing Cleveland. Knock off Cleveland. I would much rather play Indiana. Once, once we knew that we were playing Cleveland and the history between those two teams and the LeBron, the LeBron factor is just like the Tiger Woods factor. It's the same thing. The guy's a superstar. He finds a way to make the 50-foot putt. He finds a way to hit that incredible shot in game three with, I think, DeMar DeRozan on the bench for the entire fourth quarter. Yep. It's another, that's another story right there. So here's what we got with the Raptors. If you're into basketball, and I hope you are, maybe not the entire NBA, but the Raptors because they've been with us. 20, it's been over 20 years. 1995, yeah. Man, with that dinosaur. That was something. By the way, have you seen the... Uh, Carter Effect. Have you seen it? I watched it on the weekend. Okay, so I saw it in Cleveland when I was there at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was part of the Cleveland Film well, Festival. LeBron co-produced this? Yes, or, he yes, did. He was an executive, an executive producer, producer of it, yeah. And I believe Drake was an exec producer as well. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So, and, and it's good. It was really well done. Good archival footage. Lots of great Raptor footage and all that. I saw it in Cleveland. They had the Cleveland Film... Listen to this. This was the weekend. The Cleveland Indians are playing the Jays. This was the April 13th, 14th, 15th weekend. Cleveland's playing the Jays. I have tickets for all three games. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is inducting new members. The Cars, Dire Straits, the Moody Blues, uh, Bon Jovi. We have tickets for that. Fabulous. Uh, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is there. And the Cleveland Film Festival is going on at the same time. So the Carter Effect is one of the many movies they're showing. So we actually snuck in to see it. We, we, we just sort of fly. Yeah, we're from Toronto. Okay. Nice. So we, and it was good. It was really good in the theater. Anyway, I watched it and I thought, you know, this is really well done. And it's amazing how it changed the culture of Toronto. I was a basketball fan way before that. I loved the NBA. I, I had seen Oscar Robertson play live and all that kind of stuff. So I'm right into that. But now I'm looking at the Raptors and I'm going, the best coach they ever had, got them as far as he could get them with the talent that he had. Uh, you know, his coaching strategies, a few games I wasn't crazy about. Was he the reason that they lost? Certainly not. Could he have helped? Yeah, they might have won a couple of games had he not, not done what he did in game one. But other than that, here's what you've got for your next round of Raptor coaches. Mike Budenholzer is the coach of the Atlanta Hawks. He's the favorite. Jerry Stackhouse is the coach of the Raptors 905 team. He's a young guy, and he played the game. I saw him on Saturday, by the way. We uh, passed each other at the Dome. Stack? Yeah. Nice. Did you ask him anything about that? No, but I was thinking, there goes the next coach of the Toronto Raptors. He could well be. Uh, Nick Nurse is a current Raptors assistant. He certainly knows the system. Stan Van Gundy, my choice, recently fired by the Pistons. I think he'd be great. And only because I like hearing him speak because his voice is always like... And he's a heck of a coach, I think. He just didn't have a good uh, gig in, uh, in um, Detroit. And a woman, Becky Hammond, current assistant coach of the San Antonio Spurs. Why did I point out that she was a woman? Well, it's pretty rare, all right? It's never happened. The time is going to come. The same way the time was going to come that there was going to be the f a first black manager in baseball, black, whatever it was, it's evolution. And if she knows her stuff, and she does, and she learned under the master, Greg Popovich, Pop, I hope she has more of a personality than him, but that might be a viable alternative. How does someone like Becky Hammond get chosen by the Raptors? If she's the best candidate for the job, what does that entail? Playoff experience as a head coach? She doesn't have any. 
head coaching experience in the NBA? None. Um, so what is it? Is it a gut feeling? Is it something that the Raptors brass would say, uh, you know, Messiah Jury might go, you know what, this, this is a good fit. This will work with Kyle Lowry and with DeMar DeRozan and Serge Ibaka, who, by the way, if you combine the three of them, I don't know if you were aware of this, but let me tell you, DeRozan um, has $83 million left on his deal. Three more years, $83 million. The third year is 2020-2021. That's a player option, which if he's smart, he'll take it because it's like 27 or $32 million. So there you go. He'll be 29 years old next season, DeMar DeRozan. 29. Giddy up, DeMar. Let's go. Kyle Lowry, two years and $64 million left on his deal, which he signed in 2017. He's 32 years old. Serge Ibaka, two more years at $44 million. That's a lot of money tied up in three guys who didn't get who, who got swept in the second round, isn't it? Isn't it? And DeMar DeRozan, earlier this year, I had mentioned this before, don't know if you recall, Sam Mitchell, former Raptor coach, now part of the Raptor broadcast, says, and I quote, DeMar DeRozan is a Hall of Famer. This was earlier this year. I think it was in January when the Raptors were the greatest team in basketball and DeMar DeRozan was the greatest player in the NBA. In January, he was. It wasn't LeBron. LeBron sucked in January. So did Cleveland. But the Raptors were great. So how good is DeMar DeRozan? Well, after the playoffs, not so good. But think about this. I've said all along, if he's your number two guard, if he's the two guard, he's a shooting guard. He's the worst uh, three-point shooter I've seen in a long time. Of all the all-stars, DeMar DeRozan is the worst three-point shooter. Now, if he was a power forward, I wouldn't bother because his game is not make the threes. If he was a center, like Valanchunas, I don't care what his three-point, but he's a two-guard. So what does he shoot? Regular season, this year, 31% from three. Not that good. Lifetime from three-point land, 28.9%. I wouldn't be sending him the ball beyond the arc. Playoffs. Playoffs. This year in the playoffs, 28.6% shooting threes. That's awful. So bad that I don't believe he attempted a three in the last couple of games. He was afraid to shoot the three because he's not that good a three-point shooter. Lifetime, lifetime, three points in the playoffs, 23.5%. There you go. The NBA, folks, is a league of three-point shooting. That's the way the game is played. Kevin Durant, boom. Steph Curry, boom. LeBron even, okay? And he's not even that great a jump shooter, but he's still better than DeMar. Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet. Oh, so, oh, hang on a second. What's the Raptor guy's name that they went and got? The great three-point shooter, Miles? Right. Threes. He's known for threes. Knock the threes down. It's a league of threes. And when you've got DeMar DeRozan who can't shoot a three, okay? Great mid-range jump shooter. Fantastic mid-range. Shoot the two. Don't shoot the three. Do me a favor. Kyle Lowry? Hey, Kyle Lowry's got some good numbers. Kyle Lowry, 50% from the field and 44% from three-point range during the playoffs this year, all right? Not bad at all, but you can't always depend on Kyle Lowry. So you got some problems if you're the Raptors. you got to find a coach. You've got to find a way to separate the regular season from the playoffs. I loved watching the Raptors win 59 games. I loved watching them become the number one seed. And then I said, I'm worried that they're going to choke. I'm worried when you're the number one seed, everybody comes after you. Oh, Raptors number one. Do you think at one at any time did someone say, the Raptors are the best team in the East? Did they say that when the playoffs started? No. I don't, were the Raptors ripe for the picking? They sure were. The first ever number one seed to go down in a sweep in a second-round playoff series. 
Never happened before in the history of the NBA. Never in the history of the NBA has a number one seed been swept in the second round. Guess what? It happened this year. I found out about Drake and his drawing with Kendrick Perkins. I'm going to blame it. On, I'm going to blame it on. I'm going to blame it on Drake because if he wouldn't have said anything, maybe just maybe they would have won that first game, and maybe they might have won the series. Maybe. That changes everything if we win that first game. <sighs> I agree. That was it. So, and Brad Stevens is the greatest coach in the world. Brad Stevens, no Gordon Hayward, no Kyrie Irving, bunch of guys I've never heard of before. Seriously, never heard of the Turner. Who are these guys? Al Horford, who's a hundred years old. Al Horford is their big playoff star. We didn't have a guy on the Raptors like Al Horford. So there's your Raptor story right there. The Maple Leafs. Same day, the same, like within two hours of Dwayne Casey getting fired. So MLSC's got a board meeting going on. And Larry Tannenbaum goes, uh, yeah, do you want me to go handle the Raptors thing first or the Leafs thing first? While the board meeting is going, MLSC figures we'll get it all done at the same time. I'm surprised they didn't mistakenly announce that Kyle Dubas had been fired as the coach of the Raptors <laughs> and Dwayne Casey is the new GM. Okay? Really? Because it must have been some kind of day for MLSE. Look, you've got Kyle Dubas is 32 years of age. He's the boy wonder, the analytics guru. He looks the part of an analytics guru, doesn't he? But you're talking about a guy that had tremendous success with the Sioux Greyhounds, who, by the way, lost the OHL final to the Hamilton Bulldogs. But still, Kyle Dubas had his fingerprints all over that team. The Toronto Marlies, pretty good squad. Kyle Dubas, the GM, if I'm not mistaken. This guy's got a track record of winning. He's 32 years of age. Go. Let him go. Forget about Lou Lamorello. It's great. Lou Lamorello was in a, a 40-year difference between you, Lou Lamorello yeah, and Kyle Dubas. 75-year-old, and he's 32, you he's said, 30, uh, yeah. Kyle? Wow. 43-year right. difference. So a lot of, you know, lot of different um, ways of thinking. And I wonder if Kyle Dubas will allow facial hair. Lamorello didn't. I'd like to see the Leafs of next year all grow in the big grizzly beards. Let's go. Let's look tough. You want to be a tough team? You don't want to get knocked out by Boston? Start looking tough. Let's get tough. Let's play Matt Martin a little bit more often. Let's get rid of these soft players, all right, who can go into a corner with a dozen eggs and not break any of them. You know who I'm talking about. Good skill players. Let's get tough because that's the only way you're going to beat Boston. If you want to lick Boston, and I mean lick them like beat them, not lick them like Brad Marchand licked them, you got to get tough, extremely tough. The other thing is, is that how do you prepare a team to advance in the playoffs when you're in the same division as Boston and Tampa, and you have to get out of that division, the NHL's ridiculous playoff rules, and I think they change them every six years. I, I think they say, let's change the playoff rules. It used to be, it used to be, you would think, fairly simple. The team with the best record plays the team with the worst record that entered the playoffs. Do you know that for many, many years, the NHL even screwed that up? Were you aware that for years, the team that finished first in the regular season in the NHL had to play the third-place team in the first round of the playoffs, and the team that finished second played the fourth-place team. Not one versus four, two versus three. It was one versus three, two versus four. Why? So, right, right. <laughs> so you're going, why am I killing myself to finish first overall when I'm going to have to play the third-place team, right? And this went on even after expansion from the six-team NHL. In 1971, the Boston Bruins... Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito, Ken Hodge, Freddie Stanfield, Jerry Cheevers finished with 121 points. There were no overtime ties in those days. 
121 points. They finished first overall. They should have played the 82-point Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round, who finished fourth. But instead, they had to play the 97-point Montreal Canadiens. Bing, bang, boom. Dryden's with a save. Dryden with another save. Guess what? The Bruins got beat in seven games in the first round of the playoffs. Seven games losing to Montreal. They should not have played Montreal. But the NHL's ridiculous playoff system allowed one to play three and two to play four. How's that? Let's go back to a system where one plays 16. Or no, no. Even if it's conferences, one plays eight, two plays seven, three plays six. Got it? Forget about the divisions. Forget about it. This isn't like the old days, the Norris division, the Smite. Remember the old days, the Smite division was Winnipeg could never get out of the first round ever because they either had to play the Oilers or they had to play the Flames. And they would get killed every year in the first round because they had to get out of their division, the Smythe division. Forget about it. If you were in 105 points like the Maple Leafs did last year, you should not have to play a team in your own division that had 112 points. The Leafs should have played the 98-point Philadelphia Flyers in the first round. They would have kicked their ass. Instead, they get whacked by their nemesis, the Bruins, because they happen to be in the same division as the Bruins. And Tampa was going to be one of the two. So it's going to be interesting to see what Kyle Dubas does to improve this team. Find complementary players for Austin Matthews is number one. Shore up the defense and get a little bit tougher, number two and three. Maybe change the culture in the dressing room. Maybe. And is Mike Babcock the greatest thing since sliced bread? Or looking at his playoff record, is Mike Babcock a good coach with an average team? An average coach with a good team? He's won one Stanley Cup. But he should have won more than that. So let's keep an eye on Mike Babcock to see how he's doing under the new general manager, Kyle Dubas. You a golf fan? Tiger Woods? You- oh, I will root for Tiger, yeah. If he's competing on a Sunday, I'll tune in. He was competing. He was at the Players' Championship. He barely made the cut after 36 holes. He made the cut like by one shot. So he was like 15 shots back. And then he had an amazing weekend, thanks to Canadian Mackenzie Hughes of Dundas, Ontario who he apparently had never met before, but when he played golf with him on Saturday, they shook hands and he started calling him uh, Mackie, Mackenzie Hughes. Mackie, gave him a nickname. So (laughs) Mackie and Tiger played. Mackie did okay. Tiger shot 65 on Saturday. And yesterday came out of nowhere and was within four shots of the lead. And suddenly people were like, oh my God, he's back. Tiger is back. He ended up falling back, put put one on the water on 17, ended up finishing tied for 11th. But nonetheless, they were talking about Tiger. They were talking about him on that first day when he was paired with Phil Mickelson, who, by the way, is an equity owner in a company that makes long-sleeve shirts that can be worn on the golf course. And Phil, who's not exactly a fashion plate, decided it would be a good idea to wear on a steaming hot day, like a hot day in Florida, one of those Florida (laughs) humid days, that Phil Mickelson is going to wear a long-sleeve button-down shirt. It looks like a dress shirt with cuffs, with monogrammed cuffs. And he is schwitzing. He's so hot. He's sweating. He played terribly. Tiger looked cool as a cucumber. Wore, you know, short sleeve shirt. But here's Phil trying to sell these shirts. All right? Which I just thought was you know, it's sort of like the guy that wears the golf hat, like uh, like Tin Cup, like uh, Roy McAvoy in the movie. Where he's wearing uh, the hat of some, uh, Chico's Bail Bonds or something, whatever it was. Right. right? He's got some low-life sponsor. But here's Phil, who's got how many millions? And he's out there wearing a long sleeve. Like, he's looking like Walter Hagen in the 1920s with plus fours, a jaunty cap, and a long sleeve shirt. Ridiculous. You don't play golf in a long sleeve shirt ever. And then they started asking the other players, oh, what'd you think of Phil? 
And they were like, um, yeah, I don't know if I'd wear a shirt. That was the nicest one. Ricky Fowler goes, I don't know if I could rock that shirt. I don't know if I would wear that shirt. And then they go to Phil and he goes, uh, look, I'm your average middle-aged dumpy kind of guy. And this fits me perfectly, which when he said it, you kind of went, mm, okay, Phil. But, you know, really do us a favor. And he took away from Tiger. So Tiger plays with Phil. He plays with Mackenzie Hughes. And yesterday he plays with Jordan Spieth and kicks Jordan's ass. All right. So tied for 11th at the Players' Championship. U.S. Open's coming up. PGA Championship. British Open. Who knows what Tiger's going to do? All I know is the TV ratings go boffo. And I said that he would never win another major. But I said, but I think he could win another tournament. I still think he's going to win a tournament at some particular point. Maybe not a major. But you never know. The Tiger effect, uh, boy, it had so many people watching him. TFC. Uh, Sebastian Giovinco the other night knows the rules of soccer, and that is no matter what, don't let the other team get in your kitchen, okay? Don't do something stupid that's going to affect the team. So what happens is they didn't deserve to win this game anyway, but remarkably they're trailing 3-1 to the New England Revolution, and with five minutes to go, Javinko takes a fall in the box, and they award him a penalty. All right? Now, if you know soccer at all, you know that some of these calls should never be called, and then there's other calls that should be called. And it's because guys dive, right? And half the time they should be booked for simulation because they're diving. It's obvious that they're diving, okay? Uh, and a lot of times the referee will see the dive and he'll just look and point and say, no, 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 there's no foul there. And then other times the crowd or the situation or whatever, will the referee will make the call. So the other night, Javinko goes down in the box. He falls like he was shot. They award him a penalty. He scores. It's now 3-2. They're within a goal. There's still five or six minutes to go. Javinko goes and picks up the ball that he's just scored with. It's in the back of the net on the penalty. And as he's running it back to center field to get the game going again, one of the players for New England knocks the ball out of his hands. So he grabs the ball, and then he goes up to the player, and he puts his hand in the guy's face, right? Now, whether he was going to put his hand in his face to just tap him on the cheek to go, hey, Sonny, or whatever it was, you cannot put your hands in the face of another player. Everyone knows the rule. It doesn't matter if it's Serie A or it's the uh, EPL or it's uh, um, the North American Soccer League or MLS, whatever. You can't do it. But no, no, no. Somebody said, hey, go do this to Javinko. I bet you he punches you or I bet you he does something stupid. They know him. They got the scouting report on him. So sure enough, he goes up to the guy. He sticks his hand in his face. He touches him on the face. The referee didn't see it, right? They have video replay now. They have the, um, they go right to the camera on the sidelines and the guy has it all queued up for him and he sees that Javinko has touched him in the face. He goes up to Javinko and I love this about soccer. He presents him with the red, straight red. So he, so the referee pulls the red out of his pocket, shows it to Javinko, you're out of the game and you're suspended for the next game. Way to help your team. So now you had a chance. You could have pressed forward with five minutes to go. You might have tied the game, which the team really needed because really TFC is terrible this year. And the reason they're terrible is they had to play in this Champions League where every other weekend they're going to Mexico to play this team, to play that team, in the middle of their regular season. This is what I can't figure out about soccer. Someone explain this to me. In no other sport are you playing exhibition, mat not exhibition, are you playing other matches outside of your league while the league is going on? This doesn't. This is stupid as far as I'm concerned. This is why teams like in, uh, like, uh, like in the English league, 
They're whacked for champ. They've got to play Champions League, and then they got to go back here. Well, but for Toronto, when you fly to Mexico, okay, it's not like taking a little one-hour flight from, from London to Paris or whatever. It's a long trip and hostile. You're doing this while your regular season is going on. The, the, these guys are whacked. They're so tired. They went all the way to the CONCACAF uh, Champions League championship where they get, I guess they ran out of gas. And then as soon as that experience was over, it's like, oh, yeah, guys, you're back to your regular season now. Now you can go back and play Sporting Kansas City and the Seattle Sounders and the New England Revolution and the Columbus Crew. And, you know, like, are you kidding? We were just in the CONCACAF Champions League. We're playing the greatest teams from Mexico. And now we're, so there's a bit of a lunch bag letdown there going on. And that's what happened with TFC. And then this Javinko goes off. And I'm sure his teammates are really thrilled with him now. Way to go, Sebastian. Like, good job. We, as if we don't have enough problems already. Here you are diving all over the place and then sticking your face in the, in, in the opponent's, sticking your hand in the opponent's face. Ridiculous. So what do you do with this guy? And if you're a TFC supporter, you, you're going to have to hang in for the long haul. These guys went to the championship two years ago, and they lost on penalties, and then they won it last year. I mean, they had to be in for some kind of a, I don't know, down year. But this is terrible. They're not going to make playoffs. Fa are the fans still showing up to the games? I haven't been. I want to go, but every time I want to go to a game, the weather's horrible. Yeah. They played some really and some terrible ones. Also on the weekend, number one tennis player out of Canada, Denny Shapovalov. It's not Milos Raonic who he beat. It's not Jeannie Bouchard who has absolutely fallen off the face of the earth. I don't think I've ever seen a decline like hers. How do you go from getting into a, a, a Wimbledon final, an Australian Open semifinal, to like you're the 168th ranked player now? You can't get out of the first round? You're going to have to qualify for everything? Pinty's is not happy with you or your other sponsors. What's going on here? Jeannie Bouchard. Man, and, and were we fooled? Was she not a good tennis player? Did she not practice? Did she not work on her footwork? Did she not improve while every other player improved? Was she too worried about her modeling career? I found she seemed to be bored. Like, oh, I don't know if I'll play Davis Cup. What do you mean you're not going to play Davis Cup? You're a Canadian. We need you. This is, this is how we boost Canadian tennis. This is how at the grassroots level we get youngsters like you and Shapovalov and that. Because you got to play for Canada. You got to, you know, young, young tennis players have to have someone to look up to. She's not the one. Shapovalov is. From all accounts, I understand he's respected. He's respectable. He's respectful. He's humble. He's polite. He's Canadian. And he's a hell of a tennis player. Whereas Milos... Kind of the same thing. He kind of, I don't know, attitude wasn't crazy about, and he's always hurt. It just seems to me he's always whining. I'm hurt. I hurt myself. I'm hurt again. And I don't know if I can play. You know, I, I am. And so everything about Raonic is, now what's wrong? Is it his back? Is it his knees? Is it his oblique? What's the problem? Where Shapovalov goes out there, he smiles, he enjoys the game. He lost to a hell of a player, Zverev, you know, no fault. And he's the youngest ever to reach the semifinals at Madrid on clay. And he's not a clay court player. He's a hard court player. Hey, I think we should pay more attention to Denis Shapovalov because we're playing, paying less attention to Jeannie Bouchard, Milos Raonic, all those people. Oh, hey, Canadians, got to be supporting the Canadians. So you're at, you, Mike, you were at a couple of Jays games this past week? Just the Saturday game. So how was that? 
I, w- I was a little disappointed in the crowd size because Boston was in town and there was a lot of blue seats at that uh, that dome. And uh, I was a little disappointed the dome was closed, although it was a little cool on the waterfront. It was a, a sunny day and I thought, let's open this up and make it look like a, b- a ball field. Yeah. And the Jays, of course, lost. Yeah, yeah. They lost two out of three. They lost the Saturday. They won Friday in very exciting fashion. They lost Saturday and Sunday. Uh, when you were there, did anybody uh, try their hand at the wave? couple of attempts and one was a pretty good attempt but then smoke hit hit a home run and killed the wave but yeah uh, there were a few attempts here's what i think about the wave all right if this was 1983 i'd be all aboard but if you recall go back when the wave first started the idea was to get the crowd to get the players into the game right the home crowd starts doing the wave. There's all this noise. There's this energy being released by all the fans, not waiting for a home run to be hit. Like Toronto fans especially would wait, wait. And then when someone hit a home run, they go, hey, like that, as opposed to starting the cheering early, getting into the game, getting some noise happening in there instead of it being quiet. So the original idea for the wave, if you recall, was this. Between innings, somebody or a group of people would say, hey, Come on, the bottom of the fourth is coming up. We're losing. Let's get into the game. And they would start the wave between innings, right? Not while everyone was watching a pitch and then between pitches. That so between innings, you'd get people. You would you would, the choreography would start. Okay, we're gonna do the wave. Is everybody ready? People are up anyway. You know, maybe some have gone for a hot dog or go to the bathroom, but people are kind of up and ready to do it. So you get the wave going before the inning actually before the bottom of the inning actually starts. Before they've announced, now batting for the Blue Jay, right? You got the wave going. You've tried it a couple of times, maybe. You got people, core, they're ready to do it. You don't start the wave. First of all, you never do it when the visiting team is at bat. You just don't do it. There's always one guy in center field. You can hear him because it's quiet. One, one guy going, hey, one, two, hey, and then a few people do it. Right. So the rule for the wave should be this. Don't do it. But if you're going to do it, do it at the right time. Don't do it in the middle of an inning. So do it when, when half the crowd is in the uh, lining up for a washroom break or trying to buy a hot dog, some popcorn. Maybe not half the crowd, but the point is <laughs> that get it started before the inning starts. Get a couple of versions going of it, right? Get it, you know, get it happening. Don't try to do it in the middle of an inning when people are already, they're into the, oh, it's two and one. And, wait, what, what? The wave? And now your attention is, Oh, there they are at that section there. They're going to be coming to our section in a second. But wait a second. The pitcher's going to throw a pitch. I don't know what to look at. Right? right? I will say this. I've noticed those who hate the wave passionately hate it a lot. That's what I'll say. I know. <laughs> I know. Because it's not done right. All right? It's not done right. And it's not so, at a ballpark. If you're going to have a collection of 30,000 people or whatever, get them all kind of doing it on the same page. I hate people that do the wave because they feel that they have to do it and, and they're not considering when they're doing it, all right? If you're going to do it, do it at the right time. I also hate people that look away from their smartphones and then record, they're not watching the game, but then they'll record a play. They'll record the play and then they'll watch it immediately. After well, you know what they're doing? No. They're posting it to their social media channels. So they're reviewing it so they can post it to Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and wherever the heck else they're going to put it. It's all about kind of having their friends and followers see that, hey, this guy's at the game. What a lucky son of a gun. I don't buy it at all. Huh. Don't buy it in the least bit. So what have we done today? We've done all the Toronto teams. Can we get every all the Toronto teams out here? Nothing about the Argonauts because the CFL season hasn't started yet. And I'm, I'm not sure about the Argonauts. I don't know about the CFL. I don't know. I, I like the venue, BMO Field. We'll get into it another time. But I am a passionate 
Toronto sports fan, born and raised in Toronto. Don't tell me, because Toronto's not in the Stanley Cup playoffs, that I have to root for Winnipeg. Don't tell me that. Don't. I'm Canadian, proud as all can be. As Canadian as James Paxton. (laughs) But don't tell me, because there's one Canadian team left, and they're from Winnipeg, that I, as a Canadian, must support that team and not the Vegas Golden Knights or the Washington Capitals or the Tampa Bay Lightning. I take it one step further. As a diehard Maple Leaf fan, if if another Canadian team is going to win it, we haven't won it since 93 when the Montreal Canadiens won. If an, the next Canadian team to win that Stanley Cup, it's going to be mine. Right. Not, a, not somebody from Winnipeg. And look, nothing against the people from Winnipeg, okay? I know you're part of Canada. I get it. But it wouldn't matter if it was Winnipeg, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Ottawa, and especially Montreal, all right? Not going to root for them. And here's the other thing. And I guarantee you this. If the only team remaining in the Stanley Cup playoffs were the Toronto Maple Leafs, you think the rest of Canada is jumping on the Leaf bandwagon? They hate Toronto. Hate Toronto. I love Toronto. And that's the basis of this show. I'm a Toronto guy. Don't tell me I got to, hey, did you watch the Stanley Cup playoffs? Well, the Leafs aren't in it. So I don't have the same level of interest. I'm sorry. Did you watch the NBA playoffs? I'd like to see LeBron get beat, but I'm not going to watch every single game because the Raptors are out of it. And if the Jays fall too much further back, it's going to be a lot more difficult for me to watch the Jays, although I can watch that team every day because I love the drama, the daily drama, the emotion. That, to me, that draws me to sports. Nothing worse than a boring sports team. It keeps winning. all that. I need drama. I need daily drama. Who's playing where? What's wrong with this guy here? What's the coach doing? I'm involved. I'm all in for the Toronto sports teams. Some other teams, not as much. So I apologize in advance if I don't know enough about the Arizona Coyotes or the Salt Lake City, whatever they are, or even the Edmonton Oilers or the Winnipeg Jets. Mark Scheifele's a great player. I'd like to have him on the Leafs. Can I root for Winnipeg? I like Paul Maurice. Wheeler seems like a good guy. Hellebuck's a good goalie. I don't watch these guys enough. I'm not invested in the Winnipeg Jets. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm a passionate Toronto sports fan. This is Hebsey on Sports, brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club. Go to crosswindsgolf.com. Weddings, I was, I was married there. Golf, I play golf there. The people are wonderful, and I suggest you check them out. So, until next time, this has been Hebsey on Sports. Thanks to Toronto Mike for producing, and thanks to you for listening. We'll be back at you real soon, talking sports and fiercely independent sports talk. Thanks for listening.